Well, you know, one of the things that can be helpful as you read your Bible is to sometimes try to erase everything you know about it uh, in one level, especially as you're reading the story. So if you think about if someone came to the book of Mark and had no prior knowledge of where this story is headed, uh, our passage today would really kind of take you by surprise. This is a major turning point that we see uh, in the book. So you would have experienced at the very beginning as this long-awaited king has, has arrived. He was promised and he's now here. He's the, the king who's coming to rescue God's people. And then you see him gather some of his disciples and you watch him uh, cast out a demon. You watch him heal people. You watch him heal a leper even. You watch him uh, cause a man that was paralyzed to be able to walk. And then he goes around claiming that he has the authority to forgive sins, which only God has. Then he says that he eats with tax collectors and sinners. He's come to save those types of people. And then he is the one that all fasting was waiting for. Fasting, if you remember, was, was to uh, long for God's, God's restorative uh, presence. And Jesus says, you don't have to fast when I'm here because I am God's restorative presence. And then last week we saw that he claims that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one that created the Sabbath, so he's king over the Sabbath. So here you have God himself, the Son of God, the King, standing right before the people. And you would expect that the crowds and the people would welcome him, but not just welcome him, to worship him. Right? This is their maker standing right before them. And yet we see something come to the surface today for the for the first time in the book, about really finding out where these people are at with Jesus. And we see the leaders actually want to now destroy him. Somehow they want to get rid of him and have him gone. They don't like him. They don't like what he represents. And they want to get rid of him. Meanwhile, you'll, you have the people, which we've seen before already, they continue to like Jesus, but they like him for his power, not for his preaching. They like him because of his miracles, but they don't want his mastery over them. And then we see the demons. The demons are the only ones in the story, uh, in terms of, besides God the Father, who actually calls Jesus the Son of God. But of course, it's not as worshipful hearts. It's, it's lip service. And so uh, we actually, you could sum up the, the passage, what Mark really highlights is these responses to Jesus for the first time in the book, really helping us see where everybody's at. Uh, the long-awaited king received a mixture of negative reviews. They're going to look, look different indeed, but all of the groups actually are rejecting Jesus on some level. They're not worshiping him as he ought to be worshiped. The authoritative king is not worshiped as he ought to be. Now, uh, for, for anyone listening to the book of Mark or reading the book of Mark who is not a follower of Jesus, this passage should really be a call to them to say, flee the ways of the Pharisees and the crowds and the demons who are rejecting Jesus as such because they will get what's coming to them. As the story and as history progresses, they will live under the judgment of God for rejecting the Son of God. So the passage calls, if that's you, to flee that and come underneath the reign of the king. For God's people, I think this is a great passage for us in, in two directions. One, I think this is a very helpful passage, as all of chapter 3 will be going into chapter 4, 
of sort of like this reminder note of what it looks like to follow King Jesus and what, our, what we ought to expect. Especially in our culture, we, we tend in American Christianity to assume the culture should like us. Right? Or, or that things should go well for us. Or the government should give us favor. When in fact, Jesus tells us that we'll be hated by all. And this passage screams to us, if, if the holiest man ever to walk the face of the earth, if the most kind and gentle, merciful, full of grace, full of truth man walking the face of the earth, standing before people in love, proclaimed truth to them, he was rejected, what do you think we're, we're to expect? Rejection is the way of the kingdom. And so this is a very good reminder for us. This is what we ought to expect. We ought not think our country is going to love us. They will push us to the side and want to get rid of us. That should be how we view our next decade. Right? Not, not get all up, hands up in arms and nervous about way, the way the culture is going because it's not it's pushing us aside. Of course it's going to push us aside because that's what they did to our king. Uh, I think that theme actually really gets picked up in chapter 4 of the parable, the parable of the, of the sower. And that's really what that parable is going after. What, this is what you ought to expect as you go and sow the seeds. Uh, so we won't focus so much on that here. Because uh, I think there's another way to read this passage for God's people. And it's really also then to be a mirror for us. We ought not to read the passage and go, oh man, look at the Pharisees, those lousy people. But it's a mirror for us and say, look, there's a little bit of a Pharisee in you too. There's a little bit of you like the crowds as well. You react to Jesus the same way. And there might even be a little bit of lip service the way the demons do. And cause us not to feel condemned, but to be awakened and sobered and run to the king, not away from him. So I think that's a, a helpful way for us to, to go through the passage today. Uh, we'll just work our way through the passage uh, we have three people groups, three quick scenes as we go through them. Uh, so let's make our way through that. First, he sets the scene in uh, 3.1. Again, he entered the synagogue. Jesus entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a, a withered hand. And they watched Jesus. Later, we find out this the Pharisees. Uh, they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So here's just the quick scene here. Uh, this is the Sabbath. This is... Attached to the, the passage from last week, uh, that was the Sabbath as well, uh, as he proclaimed himself Lord of the Sabbath. So they had a problem with what was happening there. So this has a link uh, there. Uh, presumably, uh, the way Mark paints it, it's as, as, as if Jesus leaves the last scene and goes right over to the synagogue, uh, something to that effect. But the, in the synagogue, there's a man with a withered hand. And uh, the, the people begin to watch him. And why, why are they watching Jesus? I mean, is it, is it because, oh, now the, now the Messiah is here, the, the, the preacher is here, let's see what he's going to teach us today. That, that's not why they're watching him. Or, or maybe they're watching because they know that this man, their neighbor, has a withered hand and Jesus has the power to heal. I mean, after all, you know, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, as he talks in Romans 13, he, he, when he, he sums up some commands, he says, well, you, you know, the command to not commit adultery, the to, to not, uh, command to not murder, 
the command to not lie, the command to not covet, all of those can be summed up in one command, he says. And remember what the command is. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so maybe they're watching Jesus because they're thinking to themselves, if I was, had a withered hand I, and, and Jesus walked in, I myself would want to be healed. And I love my neighbor, so I want to see if he'll, 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 Jesus will heal him too. That's, that's not why they're watching Jesus. In fact, Mark tells us exactly why they're watching Jesus at the end of verse 2. So that they might accuse him. In other words, what they want to do is bring him to trial. And probably they've actually set this up. They've probably sort of set up like a police sting. And you send in an undercover cop to go buy buy something illegal or sell something illegal. And the the SWAT team's hiding in the van. And they're waiting, watching for the the deal to go down. And they, they come in and get them, right? It's very probable that they've set this up and they've, they've placed the man where Jesus is going to come and, and they're watching. Now all they have to see is once Jesus makes that move, we're going to take him on trial. Because as we heard last week, they, the, the Pharisees had set up all these regulations for the Sabbath. God had told his people not to work on the Sabbath, and, uh, but that's as far as it went. It didn't spell out all the regulations, but the people... Uh, did and they said you could do this and you can't do that you could do this you can't do that and in their mind if you were uh, sick or ill and you could wait until the next day as long as you were gonna, weren't going to die you needed to wait and so they're going to accuse Jesus because they want to be able to kill him for his breaking the regulations now Jesus is obviously on to this and so he calls the man says, hey, come here. And I assure you, you could hear a pin drop in that room. All you could hear at this point is probably the shuffling of the sandals as the man came over and stood right before Jesus. All whispering has stopped. And now a a break from chapter 2. Chapter 2, remember, we had four scenes where they keep asking Jesus the questions. Jesus now turns at them and looks at all of them and asks them a question. Verse 4, he says to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? Now, both of these questions are supposed to be answered the same way. But if you try to think that out, okay, so how, how would you answer? Is it, is it lawful or is it uh, permissible to do evil on the Sabbath? Well, no, right? It's not permissible to do evil any day. So obviously, that's not permissible. What about, is it permissible to do good? Well, yeah. You okay. So then he takes it to the next step. Well, is it, is it lawful to save a life? Well, yeah. Is it, is it permissible to kill on the Sabbath? Well, no, you can't do that. And so what Jesus is trying to do is pit them into a corner now and say, look, if, it, if, if you can save life and you can do good, how is it good to neighbor, how is it loving to neighbor to withhold that which is good from them? That's evil. And so what you're doing is actually harm. 
evil. You're using your regulation as a way of thinking that you're going to fulfill this law all while breaking this other law. And so he's, he, he, he's trapped them, and so they're silent. They're not silent because they're like, oh, man, that's a good question. I don't know what the answer is. They're silent because what Mark tells us is their hearts are hard. You can't get through. They've closed off the desire to actually learn what's true from God, and they like their system. So if you've done any gardening in this area, uh, most of us have more like clay-like soil. And you can, you can mend the soil and you know, put in some compost and such like that. And that, that will definitely help the, the under layer of the soil. But the top layer oftentimes gets this hard shell on it when you get midsummer. And if you go out and you water your, your crops, uh, you, the water will just kind of like lay on the top of it because the water can't get through. And so you have to kind of like dig it up again, till it up again a little bit, just the, the surface. Underneath it's fine, but the top has got this hard surface. That's what Jesus is saying. Like this is, this is what their hearts are like. It's, truth won't get through to it. It just sits on the top. And so the passage continues. They were silent in verse 4. Jesus looks around at them with anger, the text says. You see that? Jesus, as their hearts are hard to the truth of God, Jesus is angry and grieved. Notice how those go together. He's angry at their hard-hearted, and he's grieved because they're hard-hearted. Grieved because here, here stands people who were created in the image of God, who were made to find their hope and their joy and their significance and their safety in coming underneath the wing of God. And here they are. They want to push God away. So it angers Jesus and grieves him in his heart that they would be so hard against the truth. But now Jesus is not going to leave them like that. He's going to press this. He's going to press the truth to bring it to the surface. And so he says to the man, stretch out your hand. So the man stretched it out. And as he stretches it out, it's restored. Now notice, all Jesus does in this encounter is say, stretch out your hand. He doesn't even lift a finger. So you think about their Sabbath regulations. It's all he's doing is standing here. Stretch out your hand. And that alone <laughs> is enough to really tick off these leaders. Verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately went to work. They held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The, the fair, one thing to kind of note is, is as we progress through the book, you have three groups of leaders typically. You have the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees. And they don't like each other. Okay? They're, they're all coming from the, the Jewish mindset, but they, they're, not, they're not all buddies. Right? So the Pharisees are actually against the government, the Roman government. They, they want Messiah to come and crush the government. Right? So they, they, on a theological basis, as they think of uh, sort of state and religion, they're opposed to one another. The Herodians are they're friends with the Herods. 
or at least one group of the Herod, one, one strain of, the, of Herod. And so, like, theologically, they think church and state can work together, like God's grace come through in the government, and, and we have a pact, right? And so they're, they're together. The Sadducees are on the same wavelength. They, they work with the Herod as well, but they work with other types of Herods, like from different groups. So think, think almost like Democrat, uh, Republican. Yeah, the, the, they're opposed there. So theologically, they agree that religion and state go together. They can work together. But uh, who, who, what side of the system are you on? So they reject each other politically. But you have, though, you have three groups that hate each other on many levels. But here, they have one common enemy. And so they're willing to get together and go against him because they hate him that much. Their hearts are that hard. Why? Because they love their system. They want to control how, how, are we, how, are we, how are we right before God? How do we stay right before God? We don't want your truth. We don't want your reality. We, we want to do this ourselves. And they love the system so much that they will vehemently reject Jesus. Now, thank the Lord that I am not a Pharisee. Or maybe I am too much like a Pharisee. Now, my Pharisee mindset might not come out the same way as these guys here, but I love my system. I love thinking of ways that I can make myself righteous before God and keep myself righteous before God. And I will, in the moment, quickly run to that system over the gospel that God told, tells me to grab hold of. So it might look something like this. I my sin has been exposed, my pride, uh, my impatience, my overindulgence, my greed, whatever it is, it's, I'm exposed. And rather than quickly confessing and running to the gospel, confessing to God, grabbing hold of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus on my behalf, that's how I shall be cleansed, I might go into shaming mode or guilt mode. I, I feel like I'm too dirty for that, for that to be real, and I kind of need to feel this sort of like bad me, right? Now, or, or the other thing I would do is, is run to, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible more, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really make sure I pray more, or I'm going to serve somehow. I'm going to do something to sort of, sort of pay the penance, pay the fine, and, and then God will like me. He'll see that I've done this, and that's, I'm demonstrating that I'm sorry, that I didn't mean to do that, and, and, and I'm going to do this instead, and maybe God will see that, and then, and then be okay with me. Uh, now, at best, that's just total silliness. I mean, at best, right? It's, you know, when, when I was a kid, once I broke uh, a lamp in our kitchen, and uh, it, was, it had like this glass bottom, and, uh, you know, I, I thought if I glued it all together, and put it back up that my mom wouldn't find out. And I actually did. It took a couple hours, but I glued that thing together, and I put it back up. And, I mean, it was like five seconds when she walked in the door. Who did that to the lamp? Because you can obviously see it's like 40 pieces, you know. It's, it's super obvious. But as a kid, I thought, man, that is gold. <laughs> That's going to work, you know. I mean, so at best, when we respond to our sin that way, thinking that somehow our shame is, okay, God, God's going to look at us and say, okay, now you feel really bad. Now, now we're okay. Or like me doing some things is going to fix it. That at best, it's just silly. But at worst, it's 
fully anti-gospel. It's telling Jesus his death was good and I needed it, but it was not good enough. In order for me to continue to stay right before God, I still need to demonstrate my sadness and my shame or do these things in order for God to truly like me. My righteousness before God is not based on the work of Christ. It will still be based on what I do. And brothers and sisters, that's anti-gospel. And that's exactly what the Pharisees are at heart. There's this little Pharisee that lives inside my own heart that gets exposed when I try to think through how much I am just like these men in the story. So as the story moves on then, Jesus withdraws from there and he goes with his disciples to the sea, verse 7, and we are introduced to some other characters. Uh, he goes to the, to the sea, a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Udemia and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed, healed, healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. So here we have a, another group of people. Uh, this we've seen before, the crowds. Uh, twice here we're told that it's a great crowd, so we have throngs of people, and he tells us where they're coming from. First, the first three are all within Israel, Galilee, Judea, the region in the south, and then Jerusalem, the city in the south. And then he, he starts from the, north, uh, the south, Udemia, uh, underneath uh, Judea, and then he comes up around to the top. So Udemia, uh, beyond the Jordan, and to Tyre and Sidon. This is like this whole region, even in the Gentile territory. The news of Jesus was spreading. And what was spreading? His preaching is amazing. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's not what they heard. That's not what they came for. What happened? Verse 8. It's when they heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And why did they come to him? To touch him. Now Mark has, Mark has brought this theme up and is just carrying on. He's bringing it back up again. The people continue to just want Jesus for his power. This is not actually about like wanting Jesus for who he is and worshiping him. This is just wanting Jesus for his miracles, not for his mastery, not, not for the true king that he actually is. But if Jesus will give me benefits, I'll take the benefits. If you want Jesus as like a menu item, I'll take Jesus for that and for that. But the, the rest of it I don't, I don't need. So Mark uh, is going to have this play out throughout the book that the crowds, just, they just want Jesus for the benefits, not actually for who he is. And it's eventually going to end in their damnation before God. And thankfully, I'm not like one of those people. Or maybe I am just like them. You know, I, I prefer partnership with Jesus rather than like a servant-master relationship. Partnership sounds good. In fact, you know, when I, shortly after I came to faith, I, uh, for my checkbook, those of you who remember checkbooks, my, che <laughs> my checkbook, I put on my checkbook this little like tagline thing that said, Jesus is my co-pilot right there. 
And I thought to myself, That's, this is pretty cool. I showed Danica, we were dating at this time, and she said, Dan, he's not your co-pilot. Like, he, he is the pilot. I took offense at that at first, because I thought, you know, this is pretty good. Like, no, I, like, Jesus, I, I let him in the cockpit. Like, we're flying this plane together. Like, how good am I? He can have a, one of the sticks. I have one of the sticks. We'll fly this together. But here's how it quickly goes, at least in my world. We're flying along, and I welcome Jesus into the cockpit. You can sit there. We're, it's going along good, and I say, Jesus, you know what? Take your hands off that for a minute. I got this. I know where we're going. Hey, you know, Jesus, I'm getting kind of thirsty. Maybe you could just go back and get us something to drink, because I, I, could, I could use some refreshments here. I got, I got the plane. I got the plane. And he says, well, why don't you fly that? No, 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 no. I, I know where we're going. I know what's up ahead. Get us some drinks. And before long, there's some turbulence. And I say, oh, Jesus, do, do your thing. Do your thing. Do your thing. So he grabs it and bada bing, bada boom. <sighs> right out of that one. Thank you for that. Man, last, last time we were flying, they ran out of lasagna and we had that fish stuff. Jesus, maybe, maybe you could go get us some dinner. Make sure we get some of that lasagna. All right, I got this. Take your hands off the wheel. And this just goes on and on. I call Jesus for when I need him. I want to fly the plane. And that's not how this is meant to go. The call in the kingdom is to, hey, why don't you go, you know where that luggage goes? The bottom of the plane? That'd be a good spot for you there. This is come, deny yourself, Jesus says. Take up your cross and follow me. This is not about you call the shots and I call the shots and we're partnering here. Jesus is the master. And we are called to give him everything. Come under, underneath his wing fully. Whatever you want, Jesus. However you want this to go. Whatever you want my safety to look like, that's what it shall look like. Whatever you want my financials to look like, that's how it shall look. Whatever you want my schedule to look like, that's how it shall look. Whatever you want my career to look like, that's how it shall look. Whatever, Lord, whatever you want. I will go anywhere. I will do anything under your, king, under your kingship. Now, I want to say that. I try to say that. But I usually have some sort of an exception clause. I have this, what you might call the as long as statements. So it might go something like this in my world. I say, Jesus, I will gladly follow you with full abandon as long as you can assure me that people will respect me. You do that? That's all I'm asking. And I will do whatever you ask. Or Jesus, I, I, will, I will follow you without abandon, without any hesitation, as long as you make sure my family is safe. Anything else can happen. Take, take the house, take the dog, take the financials. As long as you keep my family safe, we're good. I'll do anything. I mean, what would you fill that in with? This is, this is how we want to come to Jesus and say, as long, as long as this, I will do that. It's just like the crowds. We want Jesus for part of us. But we want him to keep his hands off other parts of our life. 
Or you can ask it the other way, or the, the, as long as, I might say it like this, I might say, Jesus, I, will, I won't hold anything back. You have all of me. As long as you don't ask me to, suffer. Jesus, I, 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 will, I will fully risk for the cause of the kingdom. As long as you don't ask me to be slandered by other people. I can't take that one. As long as you don't ask me to be unappreciated. As long as you don't ask me to struggle financially. As long as you don't ask me to go outside of my comfort zone. As long as you don't ask me to be taken advantage of by other people. They'll see that I want to serve and care for them. They'll just take advantage of me. Jesus, I'll follow you as, with everything I have as long as you don't ask me to go somewhere dangerous. As long as you don't ask me to get hurt for doing the right thing. As long as you don't ask me to experience relational hardship and conflict. As long as you don't ask me to be passed over. What would you fill that in with? Jesus, I will, I will follow you with full abandon, without any hesitation. You can have all of me, as long as you don't ask me to what? I mean, I, I came up with the, that list of 10 in a matter of 30 seconds. I mean, I'm a mess. I have all sorts of as long as statements. I'm just like the crowd. Verse 11, we have one more group. Whenever the unclean, unclean spirits saw him, they, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Now we ought to recognize that the, as the, the demons are proclaiming you are the Son of God, it's not that this is coming from a worshipful, humble heart or anything like that. It could be that they're trying to more distract and cause chaos. Uh, among them, or, or it could be that uh, in the ancient world to know someone's name is to have authority over them, so it could be something like that. Whatever it is, it's not coming from this worshipful heart. It's more lip service before him. But this, I mean, this, this would be a, quite a dramatic scene. I mean, if you try to play this one out, uh, I don't know if you've ever been around uh, folks that uh, it's quite evident that it seems they're being controlled by another power and possessed by a demon. I don't really care to be in that, uh, the presence of that. I, I feel like when we lived in Chicago, that was more common to see that. Uh, so I believe I have seen it. I don't really like it that much, but you can imagine the scene. The crowds are pressing around Jesus, and everybody's clamoring for him, but there's somebody coming from the back of the crowd, grunting and pushing through the crowd. I mean, if you've ever seen this, it's quite dramatic. You're pushing through the crowd, and he's, you're the son of God, you're the son of God. Something like that, right? And, as you know, if I'm standing in the crowd, I'm, whoa, hold on. And then all of a sudden he gets before Jesus and says, I know who you are. You are the son of Silence. And the guy's still. I mean, what a scene. What a scene. Part of me would want to see it, and part of me would I'd rather not see that. I'll watch that one on film. You know, it's spooky. But what's going on here is Jesus, these demons giving lip service to Jesus. This is not about the heart. The scary about, thing about this is 
that we are capable of the very same thing. That people give lip service to Jesus. Matthew 7, one of the scariest parts of the Bible, Matthew 7, 21 and following, where Jesus says, many will come to me on that, that last day, and they will say to me, Lord, Lord, they will confess Jesus with the, their mouth, and he'll say, away from me. And then they'll, they'll give a defense. They'll say, whoa, 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 whoa. We did many powerful miracles in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And he'll say, away from me. I never do you. That is staggering. These people, Jesus says, they'll, they'll come to me on that, that, that day. They'll proclaim me. They'll, they'll point to all these things that they did in my name. And those are the people, they sat in Sunday at services every week. They were at small group every week. They were telling their co-workers about Jesus. And I'll say, it was all a sham. That's terrifying. It's possible to sit and proclaim Jesus and it actually not come from the heart. Now, I, I think if, if you hear that and you, your, your first default is like, man, I would never do that. It's probably a dangerous place to be. Or if you hear that and your, your first thought is like, oh, so-and-so needs to hear that. Hope they're listening. That's probably not a good place to be either. If you hear that language and something in your soul goes, whoa, I, I do that. What does, it, what does it say about me? Brother or sister, that's probably the perfect place to be. There's, there's something that uh, sometimes people will have this. It, it's called a, a pain insensitivity where some people are actually born this way. They have insensitivity to pain, so they don't feel pain at all. Now, we could hear that and be like, man, give me some of that. Uh, now, in the new heavens, new earth, not feeling pain, that will be glorious. On this earth, you need to feel pain. Pain is what actually protects you, right? You feel the heat of the flame, you move away. You feel the, the sharpness of the knife on your finger, you, whew, I better do something different than that. You bite your tongue, it starts to swell up, or your cheek, and it starts to get big. You say, well, you know what? I'm going to chew on the other side of my mouth for now, right? If you have a pain insensitivity, you just keep going. And actually, it's very dangerous. People that they say that are born with that, the average, they live to the average age of 25. It's very, very dangerous, and you have to constantly check the people because they could have cuts and bruises all over themselves and not even be aware of it. And so being without the pain or the, the, is a bad thing. In the same way, spiritually, if you, are, if you hear things like this and you're totally insensitive to it, that's a dangerous place to be. If you hear that, that, is, that, that you are someone like this Pharisee and you're someone like the crowd and you're someone like the, the demon that gives lip service to Jesus and that does a, a sort of a whoa in your soul, where do you think that comes from? The believer doesn't feel that. Believer's not con the, the un I'm sorry, the unbeliever's not concerned about that. The unbeliever's not concerned about their sin. 
unless it's just hurting them or something like that. They're not concerned about the sinning against God. It's the believer that gets sensitive about, whoa, hold on a second. Where does that come from? But God placing that in you to awaken you and keep us sober-minded to go, whoa, hold on a second. I feel the heat. i got to move away. I feel the, the blade. i got to move. And it's actually meant to spur us towards God, spur us, spur us on towards holiness. It's not meant to, to scare us, but to, to awaken us. It's meant to be a mirror for us to say, you see, you see, flee from it. And so if you, if you experience that as you read about these folks and you go, man, I, I, I see myself there. Brother or sister, that's God's gift to you. To remind you, yes, you're still broken. Flee from those ways and run to the cross. And if you go, yeah, my heart's so bored sometimes with the gospel, I want to do that, but I don't even do that. Say, blessings on you, brother or sister, because even the fact that you're concerned about that is God's gift to you. If you have concern on your soul, that is God's kindness to you. So we'd not, not allow that to feel condemned, but to actually feel God's blessing, God's wooing of us. And we bless the Lord for that. And one of the ways we can even do that this morning is partaking in the Lord's table together and let the gospel, these physical elements uh, of reminding us of the gospel, uh, that the, the fact that we are forgiven sinners. We partake of this to remind, remind ourselves, yes, we are sinners. The only reason Christ died was because we're sinners. We don't need to hide that fact. But we are forgiven sinners. Our sin is forever and fully paid for by the blood of Christ. And so if that's you today, if you are one who proclaims Christ as Lord and worship him as the King, the Son of God, not perfectly, but with a heart that says, Lord, I want to come underneath you fully. I believe, help my unbelief. God, help these as long as statements be wiped away. God, help me, help me. Uh, then you're welcome to join us at the table. Uh, if you're here this morning and you do not worship Jesus as the Christ, we ask you not to partake of the elements. Uh, but if you are here a worshiper of Jesus, uh, stumbling though you be, but walking in faithful, repentant faith, uh, we ask you to come join us. Come to the inner parts of the aisle and then move to the out, 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 outer parts of the aisle to go back and we'll partake together. Brothers and sisters, we do not need to hide our sin. Jesus, remember, scenes ago, ate with tax collectors and sinners. He came for the sick, not for those who think they are righteous, but for those who know we are in deep need of forgiveness because we are sinners. We are forgiven sinners. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he broke bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. We are indeed worse than we could ever imagine. And yet the gospel is by far more glorious than we give it credit for, more beautiful, more sustaining. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a forgiven sinner. There's not a single drop of the wrath of God for you. You've been wiped clean, fully and forever. And you will see him face to face one, one day and forever dwell safely, securely in his presence. Not because you've done well through life, but because of someone else has done well on your behalf 
and died and raised in your place. The Lord Jesus has paid your fine fully. You are indeed a forgiven sinner, Christian. In the same way, the Lord Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup, it is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me.